0: come on they're right there let's go move 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 move
1: this episode of choices not chances is sponsored by louisiana gun shop located in broussard louisiana just south of lafayette for more information stay tuned at the end of this episode This is Choices, Not Chances podcast with Ryan and Matt. I'm your co-host, Matthew Charette. Sitting next to me is the host of the show, Ryan Rogers.
0: Certainly, there is no hunting like the hunting of man. And those who have hunted armed men long enough and liked it never cared for anything thereafter. This is... Ernest Hemingway and uh, short excerpt, short little poem, but to myself and to others, um, in the war fighting community, that, those words ring true. It definitely going over and, and doing that work will change you, you will see things, and uh not known for satire at all back in you know with his writing world war ii changed his perspective a lot and um had a profound impact on his writing and you know afterwards that was noticeable uh, in a big way and so tonight we're gonna we're gonna cover a little bit more review of the lions of marja book and um again with me you know co-host just just myself and uh and matt tonight gonna cover another another couple portions of the book and, um, and get into it, but really wanted to open with that, open with that excerpt by Hemingway and just kind of
1: get your thoughts on it. I mean, yeah, that's, you had, you had just showed me that this week when I was here and actually it was the first time that, uh, I heard that I'm kind of a fan of quotes,
0: you know? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's been one long time favorite of mine. um, I actually I actually seen that I say long time, I guess that's hasn't been that long. When we came home when I went on post deployment leave, I had planned an elk hunting trip with my with my old man, right? Yep. So we're going out, and you remember it, but I was trying to get rid get gone earlier, and the command made us stay so we could like get used to being home again right, for a, a month or hour, whatever. So I missed the rut by like two weeks, which sucked. Oh, that's great yeah but the mountains are good so um yeah and so my dad and I were out there and uh we were on the way back at some point we ended up in this little place I don't even remember what we were doing there It was like a nice little place it had some books in it I don't know if it's like a restaurant or something that I think it was a restaurant or something that we stopped at but uh, I picked up the book I was just walking around and picked it up it was Ernest Hemingway I'm like yeah Hemingway fan. I picked it up and I didn't know that one either and so this is, this is 2010, late 2010, August, September timeframes, September, yep, yeah. September is when we went on the hunt. And, um, yeah, man, it rocked me. I sat right there and being home and I'm like, you know, cause I struggled, uh, on the trip. I left, you know, got up in the mountains and just instantly, you know, and at first I thought it was, you know, routine you know, it's routine stuff that's going to happen. No problem. But, um, yeah so it was uh had a, had a pretty big impact on me on in the mountains at least and then you know it's just kind of stuck with me since then i wasn't sure if you had ever heard it or no, if you've yeah. ever read it so i want to start off with that one kind of get your you know your original thoughts on it authentic thoughts on it and then uh and then we can kind of kick back up where we left off uh, in the book so i mean yeah I mean, it
1: rings true in my mind just from just a simple little deal um if you've ever hunted other men and they've hunted you, and that's the thing. They hunt you back, you know, especially where we were at. So, uh, it's definitely something to think about. And I'm probably going to think about it more over the next couple of weeks and, uh, just put it in my mind. Absolutely. Absolutely. So
0: a couple things I want to talk about tonight. I, I write about them in the book. I don't, I don't want to read an excerpt out of the book again tonight. Yeah. Um, We've been doing a lot of that, and, and but just really just have more of a conversation about it. But um, something that, that is second nature to, you know, to a grunt or second nature to an infantryman or a combat man, let's say, because it doesn't have to be synonymous with the Marine Corps infantry. It could be anybody that's yeah, a combat man. A gunfighter. A gunfighter. But something that we do to keep ourselves alive on a daily basis is gauge atmospherics in the area of operation yeah, in which yeah. we're working. I'm glad and, you brought that up. And yeah, and so um, call it what you want to call it. It's basically profiling. You're going out, you're profiling individuals, you're establishing a baseline, okay, a baseline for your atmospherics in your neighborhood or in your, in our case, it was right there in the Camp Hanson surrounding area. Every day we'd go out to the bazaar right there, gauge the atmospherics. Atmospherics were good and they were no anomalies, Pretty pretty solid. Kind of go around the markets.
1: The kids are out. They're kicking soccer balls. They're asking you for water. Woman, fuzzy in there. You're all right. There's no sense of. I'm not going to say you no know, sense of alert because you're always on alert. But you don't have to, and you still have to posture. That's the other thing. Well, and, and it's not even know, that. If you're gauging
0: the atmospherics, it's just like let's just let's just gauge them. Like let's not even talk about what we're doing. We go out in the atmospherics. Are X? What does X mean? Right. And the fact that atmospherics are going to evolve and change for instance when we did the push the atmospherics were always bad there were no kids there were no women right. everybody we seen was fighting us everybody was shooting at us um and then as time progressed
1: in fact at that point the anomaly was
0: if somebody didn't
1: and if somebody didn't shoot at us yeah. Correct. yeah
0: yeah and so um after we bang it out for a month or so and we get a little bit of control in the region we start to spread out make our presence known a lot of the locals are coming back you know they went out they coiled out in the desert but now they're coming back and now they're living amongst us which is dangerous yes but it's a good sign at least in the beginning to say hey at least these people are coming back like we've got enough control of it where they feel like they're co- they they can come back and move back home or you know they ran out of supplies out <clears throat> in the desert and it was like they had to come back right um in any case, you know, once they move back in, you can start to develop your baseline, your new baseline as it evolves. And so as the as the uh, villagers would move back into the area, new baselines were established, okay? That's with the kids, kids being back around and the market back open and meat hanging and people coming and buying ice and things of that nature. And that's good. When you are out and the baseline shifts, or you have an anomaly in your baseline, it would be something like, so in layman's terms, we're out, the kids are kicking the soccer ball around, everything's going good, people are happy, people are engaged, the bazaar is popping. And then an anomaly would be, all of a sudden, every woman and child has gone sucked up in somewhere. All you see is, um, you know, military age males hanging around and most of them have those eyes, right? Mm -hmm. And, And we've talked about the eyes, the eyes of lust and, and uh and hate you know yeah. that bloodlust that they want to kill you and you can feel it and you can see it you yep. know and um that would be a spike or an anomaly in the baseline and as soon as that anomaly happens it's like okay you better be ready to fight because at least in our situation you had to be ready to fight when when the anomaly kicked off right, right for sure and uh so um, that's basically gauging atmospherics or, or, or down and dirty on gauging the atmospherics. It doesn't tell you everything, just particular our situation. Our baseline on a good day would be, be with the kids playing in the market buzzing. Or even
1: like they used to walk on patrol with us sometimes and just ask us for candy and pencils, you know? Sure,
0: sure. And so if that's your baseline, the days when you go out and it's eerie, creepy, and there's only military-age males standing around staring at you like they want to shoot you, they're probably about to shoot you. you know you're fixing a bang. Yeah, the locals always. And, and you know, we tried never to exploit the children. And the locals that were were good. At least at least in our squad, I know that there were some cases where maybe too many shuras happened outside, and yeah. too many things happened in the public, and then people paid dearly for that. Some of the uh, some of the locals that were just trying to get a better life, and so. Um, and we can get into that too. That's another conversation. You know, what, yes, we can help, but in the way in which we help you when you've got a Taliban ruling with an iron fist, are we actually hurting you? Right. And, um, and so we actually experienced a little bit of that in Marja. But, um, um,
1: well, I just wanted to say where we pick where we left off in the book, uh, for the last podcast. We had pretty much secured Meb Objective three and our Meb Objective two, excuse me, and, uh, on the third day, and, we're going to start to uh, fast forward through the book quite a bit just because it be, kind of came a grind every day. Either you're just going out on patrol or you guys are standing post, you're standing uh, watch, you're standing in a, a, a corporal of the guard or a sergeant of the guard watch in a compound somewhere. And, so, and when he
0: and says he, that, when he says somebody just went out, you know, we're going out on patrol we're still banging. This wasn't like we took time off. Like the clear happened. We had a small minor, and like a small counter attack, I guess you would say, where yeah. they really tried to get back in. Didn't really work. I mean, when we, we had two forties posted at that point, and it's like, yeah, you're not, we can reach out and touch you from as far as damn near you can see us. So, you know, have at it, do your worst. Right. And then now we had a foothold and we got this, you know, this leverage now essentially that now we have a foothold and we're, we're going to, we're here to work. And, um, and we did, we went out, we worked and they would test us. They would probe us on, on our patrols. And then, um, you know, unfortunately, you know, things don't always go as planned. You don't always clear the objective in enough days. You don't always, you know, get the good food drop, you know, you got to plan on the worst things and, 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 you know, the hits just kept on coming for us before the battalion main moved in. They wanted us to cover more area. So more and more area continued to be given and continued to be given and continued to be given. And, be given. and we got to a point where we had to take rifle squads and split them in two, plus them up with A for extra shooters. So they had at least eight guns, leaving the wire and a corpsman and, A&P. and, and, and the uh, and national police, national police. Absolutely. And so we found ourselves in a situation where, you know, Twenty something days in, we're rolling in fire teams. Basically, and we got a fire team or a fire team reinforced that we're going down
1: with. Later on, you would almost call that a mid team because you're trying to change, train your uh, your partner force. Yep. Yep. With a minimal amount of coalition force, basically what it. it, And I don't know what mid team stands for. Military
0: transition team. Okay. And and so yeah, we would do that for either ANCOP, which would be the na- and, uh, that would be the Afghan National Civil Order Police, okay. And then we would do Where that did for you the. Pull that one
1: from. <laughs> smarter than you. <laughs> oh, thanks a lot. Um,
0: yeah, well, I only did ten years of research, research for, for a book, so, yeah. Uh, <laughs> and then the Afghan National Army, um, yeah. And so you got four Marines, a corpsman, and then a and then a bunch of ANA or cop and um, you know. Initially, that was okay with with the first-hand deck. Yep. These guys fought with the 10th Mountain. They were hard.
1: Hard as woodpecker lips. And, when, and we had that beginning rapport before we pushed in with them, too. Absolutely. So we kind of knew the squads and in the, in the platoon that we were dealing Because it was just a platoon that we were dealing with, if I remember right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, squad for squad. We just had yeah. yeah. the for squad. Yeah, that. one and one. Yeah, we just had
0: – those were our counterparts. So, um, yeah, yeah, so – Atmospherics check, um, moving up, Day, the days continue to go by, the grind continues to go by, and these aren't, uh, I wouldn't say anymore, we're getting in four and five hour ticks at this point, no. but we're definitely getting in little, you know,
1: hour long, two hour long skirmishes, depends on how long it took. Or at least pop shots, or definitely, I remember some uh, sketchy situations where it's like, okay, what do we, uh, what do we got going on here? You're yeah. gauging your atmospherics, like you say, and I didn't think of it like that at that time. When I, when I originally read the first before edit of the book, and you had talked about that, I think it's almost exactly the same right now. But um, I was like, well, he never explained that to me. But I guess I just kind of figured it out on the you. You put it in your mind as you just know what you're. You don't. Think about the process. The it book just, just simply happens.
0: gave it a language, but exactly. you knew what you were doing, right? I mean, we would have. I mean, we would say gauge atmospherics. We're taking a local census patrol to gain at, right. to gauge atmospherics in the in the area of operation. Those would be actual on our mission orders, and we would talk about it. But so, yeah, we don't of go of into, into like
1: it. Census patrols were kind of. I'm not going to say bullshit, but it was kind of like we knew we were going to census until we received contact.
0: You know, a lot of it was that census to contact and you had to because, I mean, you have to start getting a grip of the area. You have to start building a map. You have to start logging in where the mosques are, who the inspirational leaders are, who's the imams in the area, who knows the flock versus doesn't know the flock, who can help us. And that's what we're trying to find out by these census. And then the other thing is we told these people to get out of Dodge if they didn't want to fight us. And as they started to come back, it's like, okay, we need to keep a census of who's in each house. And, you know, if we're going out on patrol every single day and every single day, nobody's moved into that house. But then all of a sudden there's five dudes in the house and you see a hard pointed women and and children. And this is what I'm saying. And then you have that census data to draw back on. So as much as sometimes, you know, it felt like bullshit or, you know, they're just trying to get us in a tick or whatever. Like, I mean, I don't know about you, but I enjoyed it. Uh, I I enjoyed not losing people. I'm not even going to say that, but. I, I mean, I, we were there to fight, you know, and that's what we went there to do. Damn it. We were going to do that. It didn't mean you always had to like the mission or like the situation <laughs> or, un, I mean, you should have understood the situation. Maybe right. it just been too long, but, um, but yeah, well, i, I, I mean, you were sensitized
1: to that too, because then it's just like, okay, well, we know we're going above and we're going to get to the, some of this later on, but you know, you're going above the nine Gun. zero gunfight done. You, yeah. Don't yeah. bring water and water and ammo. Like just make sure you can sustain yourself up there for a little while. Like yeah, and and that's once we get out to fi- to the five points area, and we can we can talk about that a little
0: bit more in depth. But um, so main invasion happens, a clear happens, everything starts to calm down a little bit as battalion starts to move closer and closer, and then ultimately they move into Camp Hansen with us. Which what was Camp Hansen before? Camp Allen was the name of, Allen, of, okay. of the area. Yeah, I remember that because our interpreter John, which not his real name, or completely fictitious, but he had claimed that he was from a town named Camp Allen, and he left his town, his safe town of Camp Allen, to come to the shittiest Camp Allen that there was, <laughs> and then we were, we were renamed it after you know after the battle up over the hill. where we lost Hanson at and so um, the battalion moves in uh, you know colonel colonel moves in with all of his people and um, things change for us drastically we go from 100 miles an hour doing patrols and contact patrols nearly every day manning manning ECPs and TCPs so entry control points and traffic control positions to where we could throw up snap BCPs on any you know suspicious vehicles or bazaars and make sure that we didn't have Taliban coming in, you know, to pick up their oppression right back on the people and, uh, and to mess with us. And so we went from that to being, it makes sense, but we were hand selected to stay in the area instead of continue out with our company out to the east to follow the fight and drive the fight out away from the area. And we were picked to stay. It makes sense. We were already operating in the area. We already manned the TCPS, the ECPS. We already had the post cycle. We were already living there. Um, but yeah. damn it, if you want to crush a, you want to crush an infantryman's heart, let him fight for you know thirty-five hard days of war, and then stick him at the flagpole on uh, CAG operations, which is Civil Affairs Group. Civil Affairs Group came in, and they're the people that's going to. You know, they wanted to swap out ammonium nitrate fertilizer for a, for a less lethal, you know, fertilizer that they can't build bombs out of.
1: Instead of poppy seeds, we're giving out wheat or whatever. whatever right, it like,
0: and they seed think seed that's going to work. That I always struggled with that because yeah. it's like, you know, when I was there, it's like, okay, you know, it's all bullshit anyway. It doesn't matter. We're going to go north of the 9-0 and we're going to get banged on. Or we're going to go south and we're going to get banged, you know, we're up with these guys. We're, the Taliban's going to be there. We're going to go shoot. And like you said, it's like, yeah, you knew the mission, but it was really just go out and do this till
1: you well, receive fire. And, then and it's really not just, oh, go up there and get banged on. No, go disrupt the movement, the freedom of movement of the Taliban. That is your number one purpose on the ground in Afghanistan at all times. Like that is number one mission in my eyes. Looking back on it, you want to disrupt the movement, the freedom of movement. That yeah, way yeah, they can't immerse mean, the people. They can't move. Their weapons, they can't in place IEDs, or it's very difficult
0: for them to do it. Gotta make it difficult. If you make it easy, they'll mass on you.
1: Yeah. You know, and they and, will mass on you.
0: And so yeah, and so sometimes if I you know, if I just kicked a brief and I was like, Hey, we're census to contact, that's yeah, we're going to do work. We're censusing. Well, you gotta do we're something. We're gonna do our census you, data. Hey, bang on. But once they start <laughs> once they start firing, okay, well mm-hmm. the census operation's over and now it's closed with and destroy the
1: enemy. That's right
0: until so they get on their mopeds and all that get out of range um, which seemed to be you know much of much of what their tactics were in margin they had canal and wadi systems everywhere that were virtually impassable without uh, bringing your own bridges yeah. IDs on all the bridges and then even at the time after the clear they were good enough to get in and then sometimes backfill IDs and place them in areas you know we had trucks and, and uh, mine rollers get uh, getting hit all the time. And, um, so yeah, then we, you know, we're withering away, uh, on CAG operations. And one of the, one of the craziest things, we were such a tight knit group. Everybody was good to go. And we're on CAG operations supposed to be relieved one day and hear a gunshot from the back of the, from the back of camp pants. And we're like, Oh no. And then we hear our squad and turtle, our platoon and turtle comms start going off and, there's a, there's a bit of a ruckus and it turns out that one of the saw gunners was uh, cleaning his rifle in the hooch and we had these little like s- squad size hooches and then they're, you know, getting ready to come out and relieve our squad and he's cleaning his saw in the hooch and for some reason throws the rounds back up on the feed tray before the bolt goes home and the bolt goes home on one round and shoots it right into the side of like one of the cots and then it ricochets into his squad leader's leg so it goes into his squad leader's leg it doesn't even take his squad leader off of his feet and as he's walking away to get treatment he turns around and he's like i'm gonna beat your ass when i get mad <laughs> and uh i remember that i mean i wasn't there it would have been way more funny if i was there to witness that not the shot but his response well, he's and and he's the toughness ass. i mean just straight just straight as hard, hard as woodpecker lips, you just get shot by your own dude. <laughs> and instead of feeling bad for yourself as you're walking away to get bullets lodged out of your leg, you're and telling him you're going to beat his ass when you get back. And the sawgunner is not a
1: small man. No, no, he was uh, <laughs> he was a sawgunner that could handle the saw. That's for sure. Do um, you remember when we got that sandstorm and it flipped the A and tent onto the Hesco barrier? I do or remember that. I do remember that. <laughs> like. And it was only like a 10-minute storm, as I remember, but it took that tent and just completely... Yeah. They weren't happy. No. But they had to clean it up. That was, well, it. That was their tent. Well, at one point, because you remember they built those wood deck, the, the uh, engineers built wood decks for the tent so we didn't have to sleep on the ground. Yep. And they were just like, hell, we'll leave the tent up there. And I think... Either, <laughs> started sleeping on pallets. Either LT or Staff Sergeant yeah. went out there and was like, y'all need to get that down off the HESCO barriers, like, now. Right now. <laughs> yeah. yeah funny. I just thought about that as you were talking about like that little area. Yeah. I hadn't thought about that for a long time.
0: Yeah. That's funny. So that happens. We get relieved late. Um, in the book, I talk about some of my mindset while standing on
1: CAG operations. Um, and you know, CAG operations, it wasn't just to, uh, to do like the poppy and the the wheat and the fertilizer. They would go for a while. We had to lead them around from house to house. Because, I mean, we were still right there. We would patrol through Shinny wall We would patrol in the bazaar, which was the bazaar was MEB Objective 2, effectively. Right. Um, and they were paying people for doors that got blown off, livestock that got, that got uh, taken out. Um,
0: oh, yeah. And that's and, that's something that we talk about
1: in the book a good bit because our squad
0: later on down the road um, had a situation <laughs> with an unruly Holstein cow. And uh, my point man was a little quick on the trigger I was way in the back of the squad and I hear a gunshot just as he goes around a corner into a building uh, you know around a building and my heart dropped man I thought for sure he walked around and,
1: I wasn't even with you that day I was back on radio watch at the cop at the uh, outpost but
0: yeah we'll get
1: to that too yeah
0: but did we put the Holstein down we ended up having to pay $200,000 American cash yeah, sure for for one sick yeah. mama Holstein cow now and listen we, we're not cow murderers. you know. I wouldn't let my guys do that. But in a situation where a cow pulls its rope and it's charging your your marine, and the cow's you know a thousand pounds, remember the
1: camel, in Shinnecock, I remember the camel with. Uh, uh, let's say who it was with, but the, yep. basically someone higher up was with. I think it was you and Bennett, and uh, a camel started to charge Bennett, and he was about to shoot it and who the person that was with y'all was uh not having that he told him it was like a stupid amount of money if he shot it and just like try and avoid to do avoid doing that yeah give him a quick butt stroke okay. you know send him on his way but it was like a ridiculous i don't remember ever seeing the camel
0: so i guess that was erased permanently from my memory i guess if, it, if that actually happened with me yeah i don't know i know and i maybe wasn't it was just there, bennett, cause
1: bennett told me about that
0: probably him with okay. somebody All right. i don't think it
1: was me I don't remember a camel. Cool. Yeah, I, there's I, I some do parts try. of the deployment that just drop off. I and mean, I'm sure, you know, all the veterans in, in who are we listening are like, yeah. Some of the some of the parts of the deployment just like yeah. not in my mind. Camel, anymore. Anymore. I do <laughs> Like the camel
0: was probably the least threatening thing on that deployment in my mind. And it said, Hey, don't worry about this. Right. Don't worry about machine guns. <laughs> You'll be alright with the camel or dogs. Right. So yeah, livestock over there was that was something else. They got like werewolf-sized they're just, dogs.
1: They're just the, they get
0: treated better some sometimes than the children,
1: like we mentioned on a previous episode. But uh, it, yeah, it's a but different those place. dogs those dogs are built like the uh, buildings. They're, they're made for war. They're, like. made,
0: they're made. They eat each other. Yep. Um, you mentioned sandstorm and and when I was in Iraq, we got a real sandstorm, like one biblical. Time. Like I've I got. Heard about I, I'll show you videos of it. It looked like. Have you ever seen the money?
1: Yes. Like, well, like that the, that. The movie? <laughs> that's
0: real. It, it is a wall that looks like a tornado of red laying across the ground rolling at you. That's crazy. And uh, we were down. I was in... Um, where was I? I was in Rawa in Iraq. And we got tasked with going to the government building to put some security up for an election. So... I took my squad down a day early to go to the Iraqi police office that was right there. Yeah. And I set up a squad in there. And, um, well, it was time to go back. <laughs> and it's just like an eight. I don't know if it's 800. It might be 600 meters up the road is where our where our compound was. <coughs> well, they give me the call. They're like, hey, you need to get up here. Air's about to go red. Which means yeah, you no can't medivac, you, you no can't, medivac, can't fly no birds we'll or kazovacs or, or, or medivacs in yeah. to get anybody. And so when air goes red, typically what you do you freeze in place, you, you know, you, you go firm in a compound, you wait until air clears. And you know, unless you're fighting some moose that are ready to go out, like like nobody attacks you in a sandstorm. They're doing the same thing you're doing. They're hunkering down. You can't see anything. Anyway, oh, yeah, long story it. short, goggles came down <clears throat> Off the, uh, off the Kevlar's, and
1: this is, like I said, it's a straight walk. For the first time ever. Like in, I've never you know, been... Well, I mean, yeah. You no, know, I mean, like, the, those goggles just kind of sit there and rot on the top of your Kevlar unless you're, like, getting off the of Elo, and even then, like...
0: Well, I mean, I probably, you know, probably
1: should have used them on the insert if I did yeah.
0: If I'd have known it was a flooded field. Um, didn't end up that way. Anyway, in Iraq, yeah. though, we, we bring the goggles down because we see this thing coming. Like, they called it. She couldn't see it because it was... Uh, kind of an industrial area, uh, and it was a hill, and where we were was down the hill, so now we have to walk, like, 800 meters up the hill. Oh. But the good thing was there was, like, um, for, like, the last 200 meters, at least, there was good HESCO on the right, so you, if you got to that, you could walk that, that he- was exactly right. what we did. We had to get a ranger file. It was just like- you literally couldn't see your hand in front of your face when this thing hit, and it, it was like hard debris, so you pull, like, your your schmock like up like over y- your y- face.
1: Y'all just went and nut the butt and just kind of... Well, I mean, one arm distance, yeah. I mean... I don't know how much better
0: that was going to do if they backlaid one before we walked, but I mean that that was covered by snipers and machine guns. On we, we had like a three story building, oh, so it, we had pretty good, you know, ability to make sure that didn't get backlaid, at least in the main part of that street. And so uh, that that walk was intense because you couldn't see anything; everything was just red in front of you and just whipping.
1: <laughs>
0: and finally, I remember like coming up, and I'm hollering because there's guys on post. And here I'm gonna come walking in right, right and, and, and get right everything. on top of them. Yeah, so desperate, you know. Yeah, a hell with sandstorms. It, it looks just like the movies. It, it's ridiculous. Uh, I didn't know that was real until then. But I, I, the sandstorm in
1: Iraq, in Afghanistan, was no, that was not even like a No, song. but it was just the wind, and it came in so fast. Oh yeah, it's almost like a, a thunderstorm down south. You yeah. know, it just rolls Comes in, in rolls. rolls, and then, you know, high wind. And that's how that one was in Rabo oh. too. We just got caught in the open. Right. And, uh, and, yeah, bad luck, and whatever. And I have a feeling the sand where we were was. Yeah, it's sand, but it's also uh, a little more humid, maybe. Where? In Afghanistan? where we were at in mm, Athens. What, humid? I mean, landlocked. And
0: yeah, I'm but not around a whole lot
1: of water. Yeah, but canals.
0: Yeah, maybe Those a little bit. It's super okay. humid. I think the most human place I've ever been in my life was Cyprus. We were doing I can see that. Yeah, we were doing a <laughs> non-combatant evacuation out of Lebanon, and we had stopped at a uh, British Royal Air Force base in, on on the island.
1: Yep. Oh no, I've been there. Oh no, yeah, I didn't, I didn't, didn't get off a, the ship, but I, I've been
0: to that, that is that a part hot of Cyprus. Yeah. place. Let me tell you something about Cyprus. First of all, we were in Bahrain. I didn't think clouds existed anymore, and we went to Cyprus. <laughs> look, bro, we went to Cyprus, and I seen clouds again, and I was like in Oz, boot, you know, whatever. Right. I look up, and I'm like,
1: oh, well, what the that? And
0: when you got in the shade in Cyprus, it did what it's supposed to do, and it dropped like 15 degrees. Yeah. When you got in the shade in Bahrain, nothing mm-hmm. changed. You just didn't squint as bad, right? It was horrible. And that's a that's a humid place, too. That's the hottest place mm-hmm. I've ever been in my yeah, life. It's off the water isn't it is it ba- no bahrain no saudi nice. arabia right there man. that's a hot that's a hot place okay that's a hot place but humid cypress and then jacksonville north carolina and, and then right
1: after that louisiana anyway at any time <laughs> pretty much like even in the middle of winter you're still sitting at around 80, 80 degrees yeah i could really <laughs> dig some humidity i could really dig some arizona
0: style heat
1: where you're it's just like
0: flat and dry 29 palms. 20.
1: Sure. Well, we're just, we're well we're, yeah, I mean, I don't say that the heat, but <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, so. I didn't go with the stumps. Yeah. The, you know. Well, that's what you should have said. I know.
0: So we are talking about CAG operations, and I have a little excerpt from the book that I think uh, I want to read. And so we're going to get into that right now. Yeah. Trying to hold my liquid. I scanned route Kathy to the south. Now, trying to hold my liquid because of the negligent discharge into a squad leader's leg that's the tie-in that's why oh i got you i had already had to go potty as it were (laughs) and uh then the shot goes off and i was literally standing there we go i go through it in the book a little bit before this area but i was weighing the pros and cons to pissing my pants while i was standing there (laughs) at the CAG ops because i'm like they're never going to show up now like he just shot his squad leader Right. Mm-hmm. Somebody's getting ass beaten. That's going to take a while. Somebody's got to get medevac. That's going to take a while. Charges got to be written
1: up. Uh, Which never happened. Right. I know. Because he was a phenomenal but Marine. When it starts, you don't know where that's going. Yeah. You
0: know? Right. So here here we are, <coughs> and we're on CAG operations down at the CMOC. And the CMOC was the area where they would come and get their money or get their fertilizer or get the help that they needed. And we're trying to help too. I'm not trying to brush that away. But, you know, maybe the guys that just spent the last 50 days fighting these people hard on every day shouldn't be those people. Right. Right out the gate. But it made the most sense. And, mm-hmm. you know, you do the picture, it. too. Well, like, you do what we you're told, know, right? They don't always
1: know the big picture of what they're seeing at the time.
0: No, and it made writing. sense. We already owned the area. We had the presence in the area. We had the post set up. Right. I got it. I just didn't like it. How I about mean, I that? You don't always good. like the things that you have to do. So trying to hold my liquid, I scanned route Kathy to the south. Directly nearing our ECP, it was common to have bad guys moving down there, around and about, and occasionally, if you were sharp, you would catch something. One day early on, when CAG ops were in their infancy, we witnessed a man on Route Kathy digging in an IED, presumably. As we watched with anxious eyes, trying to get positive identification on the weapons that we could engage, he exploded. It was the first person. It was the first person that I'd ever seen explode. I remember not thinking it bothered me at the time, but he was trying to kill us. So that aided in the emotions. Later that night, I scribbled in my notebook a short poem outlining the events in which I watched unfold, and I called it The Marja Paradox. It reads The Marja Paradox. The Taliban will break in at night and capture a family, f- a farmer, and his family from their home. They tell the farmer to go plant a bomb outside the Marine base, or they'll rape and kill his entire family. The farmer attempts to plant the bomb, as any father would, and admirably so. And the 19 to 22-year-old Marine will kill the farmer every single time, and admirably so. The older I've gotten, the more I believe the words that I felt at that time. Sometimes these people were good people stuck in an impossible situation they're doing their best to survive in a world that is 100 times more violent and ruthless than us privileged Americans are accustomed to. What, I ask, would you do if you were put in the farmer's shoes? My gripe is not with killing the farmer. I've been that guy. It's with the evil man that manipulated somebody with their children and threats of violence. That person does, the person that does this is pure evil. Pure evil in my opinion. And, um, and that's what that's what kind of went down one day on on CAG operations, and yeah. um, and actually, I wasn't with you for that. You weren't up there for that one. I mean, thank God. Um, but I'll be honest. I mean, I was standing there trying not to piss my pants, and I'm just kind of dazing, not dazing, but trying not to piss my pants mainly. Yeah. And I'm watching the people in the line. Mm-hmm. Well, right above the line is the open step from the few days prior, you know, that we were on the point of, and Route Ralph Cathy's back there. You know, Ralph Cathy was like the horizontal east and west running road to the south back there. And I'm um, watching it, and I see this guy, and it's like, that's a pretty good stretch. Like, it's a pretty good way. So even through an RCO, you're like, what is he doing? Right. Like, you, you, you know what he's doing. Kind of, but
1: you, you can't but you roll can't. up and roll down there.
0: No, you can't roll up. And if you're going to hit him with a 240 at that range from one of the posts or give that fire command out, like you need to make sure you had positive identification. You don't want to be tying a shoe or like
1: taking a fist. Not only that, what's beyond that target? There, I mean, what well there was a hit? whole bizarre behind that target too. Right. What are you gonna what are you gonna hit behind that target? I mean, then you're talking about you killing civilians and we all know what that leads to and what if, if he's a
0: civilian? So and I couldn't get that. positive identification and so I'm watching and I'm like, to be sure he's not playing an ID in broad daylight. Like to be sure that's not what he both and I was like, "Whoa!" They like sucked the air out of the sky for a minute. Like everybody was just like, Whoa. even the even the people online line, they turned around, but they didn't see it. I was watching this person, and he was gone. And I remember thinking, like it, like I said in the book, I remember thinking, "Well, sucks to be you, buddy."
1: Don't Play stupid games,
0: red. you're gonna win stupid
1: prizes. Don't touch the red to the black. That's, yeah, that you know, pressure black switch and red. <laughs> didn't have enough packing peanuts, right, right. they said. Which <laughs> is
0: something they were doing to us they, yeah. they would they would make the pressure switches. Initially, there was like you know, heavy dog is gonna lose a limb. Right. So definitely for for, for personnel, but after that, we had trucks moving through. They would make it look like it was a command <coughs> that IED by using the packet packing peanuts in the pressure switch system so that like truck one would roll over it and crush them a little bit yeah, truck two too. crush them a little bit and then like three or four kaboom and now you're looking for a trigger man or like a radio man right and you're like you don't see that but it took them a while and then eod you know eod was awesome but like, we've talked about them already they rolled with us on that deployment and and uh
1: i mean that's smart i mean, I mean no that's what it, yeah they may, it may not have running water but I don't know where they were getting the packing peanuts from, but... <laughs> we are getting them from somewhere. Amazon. <laughs> Amazon, yeah, probably. Amazon Prime. That is not at all a slight against Amazon, I'm just saying. <laughs> <laughs> My book's on Amazon. It is. But I bet you
0: could buy some packing peanuts and ship them just about anywhere you want. Nope. Well, right, maybe well. not to margin, but that, you know, know, Kabul, probably. We'll check in on that. Look, look it's neither here nor there. It's packing right. peanuts. But, um, uh-huh. but that's definitely something that, that was... Profound in my experience Because I've never seen somebody go away like that And that was That was wild Yeah, Definitely wild um, what, what's, what's one of the most uh, Tell me one of the most shocking Or uh, memorable events That you
1: had during the CAG time frame. During the CAG time um, Well first of all I want to say when I took over that section um, Man When you're rolling with four guys That was one of the and I say four guys because, the, you know, I mean, I had ANA and I had ANCOP, but they were sometimes so hard to control. One, they didn't speak English, and my attempts at Pashtun Wally or whatever they were speaking at the time was, you know, fruitless almost. But um, and I me and, me and Michael Grimes, Grimes was my APL at the time, we had this conversation a few weeks ago. And we were talking about the CAG ops and split sections, as we called it, and he, he was saying something about the way we rolled and of course at the time I had dysentery so we'd stop the patrol so I could throw up or shit my pants or whatever I had to do <laughs> at the time and but I told him I said and I never let you know this but I was so fearful that we would get contact and we wouldn't be able to handle it because the ANA or the ANCOP might just mal out of there and it's like well, I'm not running from a gunfight, right, until the absolute time to do it, and I have to call a retreat. But I've got Grimes, myself, Brady, and Doc is my fourth shooter, which hats off to you, Doc. Like, good shooter. Good shooter. Like, I had Doc and Brady running one ECP and Grimes, and then I would bounce between the two and, and just – it was Such a screwed up situation for the for those uh, for that month or two that we were doing that. I can't remember exactly how long we did it. No, but like it was, like thirty days, probably. Yeah, thirty days. I'd but, say maybe even less than that. <clears throat> but, but it was when a lot of space got, to cover for sure. When we finally got back together as a squad, I was like, uh, "Oh, dude." I mean, I felt the same you know, way. It was like it's like um, like you give me thirteen guys, I'm probably gonna be, you know. it's Still, Marja, you understand, or no, no, still, you no. know, but Birking you got, you got your, you got your boys. Yeah. We can do this, you know. But you, when you got, I mean, we made it happen. Yeah. Nobody got hurt. In we, we split allowed.
0: section, we did get
1: in contact. We did run firefights. The A and A didn't bail out. And I will say, you at that point, and this is maybe a lesson learned in my, in the back of my mind was always, don't let them suck you into something that you don't know what you're getting yourself into. You know, you yeah. don't want it. You don't want them to bait you into something that then you become and you're in a fire sack or you're, you're surrounded on three sides with no good egress. Like, no, that's not going to happen. Well, it could happen. No, it could happen. And and that's why you have to keep it in your mind. You know, you know what I'm saying? Definitely got to be cognizant that you're not
0: getting drawn into, to a sticky Mm -hmm. situation. And, and, you know, that was a big failure that I had and we can get into it when we go south out from five points. But a big failure of mine was getting drawn, drawn straight into, um, a bad situation. And the more I pushed into the bad situation, thinking that I was really inflicting damage, I was putting our, my squad into a worse situation. And uh, and then that got complicated even, you know, by more issues.
1: But um, I will say, I mean, let's get back to the original question. I kind of rambled there for a second. <laughs> but, <laughs> but during we're getting, getting ahead of ourselves. During CAG Ops, I'm, you know, we're, uh, we're running an ECP on the east side of the bazaar. For all traffic coming in. I mean, we were running one on east and west, but the, the east was kind of the start of the bazaar on the east side, you know, and then that's where you're getting all your stuff from the five points area. Right. Um and I don't know at that point if they had the OP set up on six oh eight yet, but whatever. Um Probably not until Sergeant Lewis got yeah and uh, i don't know if i the got blown up by the covert. yeah i had OP too yeah but um grimes is set up what it saw we right there at the gas station kind of behind there was a little pillar right there in the, in mm-hmm. the front so good little bit of cover and i'd always pull him back because there was another north south running road that came in and ended right there in the beginning mm-hmm. of the bazaar mm-hmm. so that was kind of our 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 place there was a little bit further in the bazaar and I got Brady and Doc on the west side, right? Mm-hmm. And I would just, like I said, bounce back and forth between the two. Well, one time I'm walking through, I had the Cag Doc uh, in one of the the bazaars, getting fitted for some mam jams, trying to bring some money into the uh, into the bazaar for the for the locals. I don't mm. know if you want to call them MAM Jams, but that's what I'm going to call them. Dish Dash. Dish Dash, okay, yeah. We do call it a Dish Dash. You can call them MAM Jams. I don't care what you call them. But he's sitting there, he's trying to bring money into there, into the into the bazaar, trying to help the local populace, and um, there's this white van coming, Mm-mm. and I don't know why they always have to be white. <laughs> I guess it's the most popular color, I don't know, but there's mm-hmm. It's really hot. There's a van coming, mm-hmm. and um, I start... Giving my hand and arm signals, just like we do. We don't have a serpentine because it's a hasty, it's yeah, a snap, a snap, yeah. a snap. You know. And I said, "Man, I say, all right." They're not stopping with my hand and arm signals. So I, I posture my weapon. I said, "Grimes, get ready." And I've got him right to my right. And I'm still in the open. Like, this is, this thing's coming it's straight about at to me. Go down. And if you remember at the end, it, as you were coming into the ECP, the road kind of did this yep. number because it hadn't been, we hadn't gotten the contractors in there to fix it yet. And uh, I posture my weapon. I said, hmm, this isn't going to be good. And he's still coming. And now the van, van's barreling. And I'm like, oh man, this is going to be interesting. I always, when I, we would go into, uh, the ECP option. We set a snap ECP in my 203. I would load a star cluster mm-hmm. because that's one of the signals, right? Yeah, one of the one of the uh, escalations of force. escalations of force. There you go. Mm. Um, I take that. I take that star cluster. I put it directly on the dude's windshield. And this van, I don't think it could have stopped any faster. I think the back <laughs> wheels might have come off the ground, but it just it just said whoop. And I was like, oh, okay, that worked. The Star Cluster bounced off of... He thought he was going to Elysium, dude. Yes. <laughs> the Star Cluster bounces off the windshield and into a compound. Couldn't have done it again if I tried. Lit a um, bale of poppy, dry poppy on fire in the compound. I'm like, well... And, start, and instantly, like, yeah, stage three fire. You're, you're not putting it out. I'm like, well, the compound's mud. I'm not really worried about the fire. So me and Grimes roll up on the van. You know, clear it. Thank God, neither of us open fire. Mm. Thank you, That's why we go through the escalation of force because I don't know how many kids were in there. A bunch. They would have got a ticket if they, in the, if they were in the United States because there was an entire three families worth of people in there—women, children, and one guy was driving. And I was like, <laughs> as I fired a star cluster to bring it back a little bit, the doc. Kag, CAG, kind of pokes his head out of the out of the little shop he's in. He's like, everything good, Corbo? I said, we're going to find out, Doc. Stay in there. Because <laughs> we were basically his PSD at that time, too, you know? Yeah, so, we responsible for him.
0: Yeah, that's wild, man. That's a wild story.
1: I've never heard that story, actually. Um, but that was one of the days where I was like, hmm. That's sketchy, man. That is sketchy, because you don't know. And, and
0: that's the other thing, is like, what's so crazy is they've been at war so long that this sh- shit doesn't phase them. It doesn't phase no, them to see an armed troop standing there waving his hands at him. Like, that. you've seen that here? It's like people are locking breaks up hundreds of meters out. Why has that guy got a gun in the middle of the road? waiting to be down? <laughs> yeah. You know? But there it's like, barrel through, it's all
1: right, it's just the fucking Marines. You know, like, what? Well, what I figured out, too, is kind of early morning, not early morning, but mid-morning hmm the sun was at my back he couldn't see my hand and arm signals maybe so until that star maybe cluster, he just wasn't paying attention that too or, or he 37 was 37 people in his, in, his,
0: <laughs> in his right look i have three kids and one wife and when i go out to dinner <laughs> you might have to shoot I, a star cluster to you get might you have to wouldn't shoot with a pinflare son <laughs> because there's enough going on back there to stay busy in my head like right. sit down be quiet buckle up sit down be quiet buckle up and then i'm the whole time that's happening i'm getting yelled at <laughs> about how i'm driving or not driving Right? yeah man i can get i guess all i'm saying is i see where he's coming you from you have 38 him? kids back there 14 wives all in one van and it's like yeah, drive
1: and don't get distracted. Not to mention, he probably just shot the gap from Las and didn't hit an IED. I mean, the guy's got that to worry about too. You know, or wherever you I don't know where. And what kind of drugs right
0: is he doping up just to make that drive? <laughs> i right. like, like going to have another kid at Las Caragar. Got to dodge the minefield. What a life, man! And I just mean, an unlucky situation.
1: Yeah, and, and could have went terribly bad. Terribly I mean, bad. but I, mean, I followed my escalation. Well, I mean, and I was. If told you didn't, we- you might would be in prison or at least have a lot of. You know, issues kind of like working through that. Imagine living with that. Right. Yeah. Um, And actually someone told me later on, and I don't remember who, but I wasn't supposed to shoot the star cluster at the windshield. I was supposed to shoot it across the windshield. Got it. You said you got it across the windshield. It bounced. All the way across. Yeah. 'Cause apparently they can go through the windshield. I didn't know that. I'm sorry. I've been boot corporal, don't know. Like I don't think
0: that one works at Corporal. <laughs> I
1: think that stops at Lance Yeah, I definitely would have been worse for that
0: one. Maybe. Yeah, no, you've been alright.
1: Um been you know, all right. of course I, I, had, to, I had to report it in the LT. and We just and figured it out. Yeah. I mean hell, someone just got indeed into the leg. Not too much. F- figured that one out. Figured that one out. <laughs> Well nobody was hurt. The escalation did exactly what the escalation was supposed to do. Caught
0: and a guy that was stayed. not paying attention or couldn't see you. And instead of making a poor decision, you make a good decision. And turns out guy's an innocent dude, just, you know, caught up in whatever he's caught up in, or maybe like you said, the sun had something to do with it. Right. And, you know, he gets
1: through, gets to where he needs to go, you know, unscathed. That's good. And we, uh, you know, of course, we got them out. We searched the car. I talked to them with, uh, I probably had a tanker camera rolling with me, one of our interpreters. And uh, made sure the fire burned itself out
0: and didn't right. cause any destruction. Right. And you're not hurting anything. If it's dried up poppy stems. <laughs> Good job. <laughs> like they've already milked it and they've already right. got what they want out of it anyway. So, so at this point, you know, we're withering away. There's a lot of risk being played. There's a lot of spades being played. A lot of CAG ops going on. And a lot of really wishing that we weren't doing any of that. Right. Um, so waiting on the call, right? Like waiting on something, some piece of hope that we can go fight again and get away from the flagpole. And uh, so here's an excerpt about that. So as we were in CAG operations, we moved to you know this ridiculously slow pace and. However, we're coming off of a fast pace where we just lost two guys, at least from our company. Other companies have lost more fellows along the way. And and we get word that they're having a memorial service for the guys that we've lost thus far. And everybody's to report to this little center area of, of the COP, which was just at this time called Second Platoon's COP, right? Uh... Though the battalion had moved in, it hadn't been formally named anything. So, Battalion Main, maybe we were calling it. Camp Allen. Camp yeah. Allen.
1: And um, <clears throat> I know so... I know at that point, the push had been uh, made to rename it from... Because it was Camp Allen when we pushed in. Like, that was the spot. Mm-hmm, this mm-hmm, is Camp mm-hmm. Allen. And then the push had been made because Hanson had passed so close to there that they they wanted to make they wanted to sure i'm just out. saying that hadn't happened yet yeah i know um,
0: it, it hadn't come up yet i don't think or if it had it was being deliberated i think yeah so it wasn't official well we will just camp hansen that's how people yeah, know it now so know that's how we we'll we'll yeah. say it now so at camp in a little um mm-hmm. middle area that they put some camion in they did a really good job they had all the boots boots rifles kevlar yeah. dog tag memorials and um and this is actually where we find out that we're being we're gonna be pulled out to five points, at least our squad is to to get back after it. So we all gathered in a small area carved out. We all gathered in a small area carved out for the ceremony, and the group was called to order. Everyone snapped to attention in an instant. First sergeant began to address the group. The hardest part of the ceremony for me has always been the roll call. This is where the first sergeant begins to call out the role, naming a few Marines in the group who would firmly respond, present. About two or three names in, the name of a Marine killed in action would be read something like this. Lance Corporal Hansen with a long pause. Lance Corporal Hansen with a long pause. Lance Corporal Matthias Newman Hansen each time louder, and on the final time with a quivering lip and no response, he is honored and recorded. As each Marine was read off, I wept. I left my Oakleys down and I cried hard. I remembered feeling the hot sun on my back of my neck and the stiff breeze making, this, making the sweat and the tears on my face feel cool. My glasses were fogged. Up uh, by that time, the last name was recorded. I sniffed and wiped my nose. The next part of the ceremony was approaching the cross-shaped memorial constructed with a Kevlar on top and the buttstock of a rifle bayoneted into a sandbag. At the bottom of the cross-shaped memorial was a pair of combat boots positioned open at a 45-degree angle, just as the yellow footprints those Marines stood on when getting off the bus at boot camp. Those dog tags of each of the fallen were center-marched and hung from the pistol grip of the rifle. Lance Corporal Travis Focolo was the Marine who hung hung Hanson's tags. We all then formed a line and approached the memorial, each man taking time to say goodbye in his own way. As I walked up for each Marine, I knelt and I said a silent prayer. When I got to Hanson, I knelt, I grabbed his tags, I brought them to my forehead, and said a prayer. I closed my prayer by thanking him for his courage and his sacrifice to something greater than himself, and then I apologized for not being better. I stood and I continued to the end where I was a mess. I was in sort of a daze behind the shades when I saw the CO. Captain Bigards approached me and grabbed my shoulder. He asked if I was okay, and he told me when I was ready, he needed his anvil back. He then said that Sergeant Harms was the hammer and I was his anvil or something like that. I took it as a compliment. I wiped my tears and I said, I'm ready right now, sir. He smiled and said he was going to get something arranged, and we parted ways. It was either a great tactic to get my head out of the ceremony or a true compliment. Either way, I took it as an affirmation that I was faring well as a squad leader amongst the command element, and it reinvigorated me to get back in the fight and to stay sharp. So that was the initial warning order, I guess you could say, from... From um, Biggers, from uh, Captain Biggers to to get us out there, to say, hey, you know, get your head right, get out of this phase or this mode that you're in right now, and I'm going to get you back out there. You know, it's time to get back after it. And it worked. You know, if that was, if it was a tactic, it worked. If it was a ploy, it worked because it instantly brought back my clarity, my fight, my anger controlled anger, but I remember coming back and you know out of all the times I had to come tell you guys like news like we're operating. I was so happy this time and not everybody was happy because some of the guys were enjoying the creature comforts and the relaxed schedule and things of that nature, the amenities that come with being at the flagpole and being at the main and I mean, I would say for you and I, that was about the last place that we wanted to be most all of the time. Like we would rather be working than being sitting up under the flagpole. Well,
1: of course, but you know, for for future leaders, you know, sometimes too much time off isn't a isn't a good thing, especially in that situation. Because yeah. now you got it. Now we've got to get these guys back out and maybe even get in our in our own headspace and say, okay, this is because I wasn't vacation's over yeah vacation's over and now you like you have to go back out get your head right remember your tactics remember how this stuff goes down that's um, right you know
0: it's just it's a headspace you got to be in and we and tried that. we tried very hard to not become complacent at Hanson during CAG operations but the
1: situation dictated that it was a difference
0: you know it, well and, and like they it was a forced complacency, right. in my opinion. It was like, no, you can't aim at these people. No, you can't, you
1: can't take be hostile
0: with these people. No, you can't do this. And it's like, you know I was in a gunfight five hours
1: ago? Mm-hmm. You know, you can't take uh, compounds at night. I got—I forgot about that. I got my ass chewed because I took my—I took a compound at, at one night. And for some reason, it was the first night that we weren't supposed to take compounds at night. And word may or may not have been passed. It might have been in passing. I don't know. I may have gotten it and just... Was like damn. the hell with it. I'm taking a compound.
0: Hey man, I mean, you you know what my uh, where I stood on all that. You know, I don't, just I, so I don't give a damn what they say.
1: It just so happened that the people that own the compound complained the next day, and I had to attain for it. Well, I mean, if
0: you need, if you're in a situation where you need to make an entry into a compound, okay, then they can p- complain the next day. And right. did anything come of that? No, no, nothing's going to come it's of it because it was out of necessity. You weren't going in there just to kick somebody
1: out of their house, you know. And I didn't even kick them out. We actually just took it. Right, I pulled the man out. Right, and I, you know, we pulled the, the the elder of the house out and said, "Hey, we're taking your compound so we can take a break because I don't feel comfortable taking a break in the alley that we were in, mm-hmm. and that was over toward that uh that little moss mm-hmm. from day one mm-hmm. near the big bridge, but on the east side."
0: Yeah, well, um, we didn't really go into that. I don't even think I covered that in the book. But the the actual <laughs> how religion plays into this oh. and ext- extremism. Um, the um, that the the house from day one that had the IED right out the door yep. and the command right wire running into it, LT had asked to reduce the house. He didn't want them to be able to ever use that again. And they ended up denying it. And later on, we find out that that was the mosque for that little area. Right. And it's like, oh, okay, like yeah, we can't. Good thing we didn't level it. But at the same time, like if like the rules of engagement specifically stated if you were going to use a mosque and try to hurt us from it, yeah, you are going
1: to receive fire there. But at the time it was no threat to us because they couldn't do mm-hmm, mm-hmm, it. Mm-hmm. So I understand. No, that. I
0: agree. Call- I'm just saying it, it, it goes to show like they know, they know our tactics. We've been doing this for 20 years on this side of the world. And they know that we're not supposed to choose into churches that and, and mosques. They know that we're not supposed to handle their, um, females you know right. they, they know certain things about they know that we have to have positive identification so that if they put a weapon right. down and throw a different scarf on
1: they might make it through right so another important thing that i don't think we brought up yet is during the initial when we dropped in we were under roe one alpha if i if, the, if my memory serves me correctly which was pretty much you still had to have positive identification but if they had a weapon I oh, do no, if a weapon was... A, and, and then it
0: became because they had um, radios and comms. Right. And they had... Um, haven't talked about this either, but they had spotters. So, in the beginning, it was like you seen somebody with a cell phone. If they were looking at you, it felt like weird. You reported like, hey, this guy's looking at us with a cell phone. Well, then when the ICOM chatter marines came in and they started intercepting that traffic, they found out, yeah, these guys are passive spotting. Spotting, like, just as casual. Like, they're just on the phone... You know, during a gunfight or during a Marine Patrol walking by, and we caught on to that kind of work, right. and, well, and what they did what that they became hostile
1: like, act and hostile intent right, right. there. In what they stuff. weren't prepared for is we had, I'm not going to say lax IDs, cause, or uh, ROEs, but we had... We had ROEs for the situation. For the situation. But then, during CAG operations, we switched to ROE 1 Bravo, and you all have to have PID, you have mm-hmm. that positive identification. Hostile, to, hostile act, hostile intent. Just because they have a weapon, you can't just drop them because you might have an imams. Uh, well, and that's or, what we
0: were you know. we were kind of combating at that time was the people moving back in, and then well, the people had yeah they local militia security that were like there to keep them <laughs> safe, and so now it's like okay, juggle this. Some people out there that look like the Taliban aren't the Taliban. <laughs> They're allowed to be there,
1: right?
0: So long as they check in with <laughs> us on time. There's going to be people that look just like them. They're not allowed to be in there. That's the Taliban. It's like, okay, check. And then there's other people yet that may intermingle between them or in our Afghan National Army, and they're bad, too. So just, you know, be careful. Don't aim at everybody. Make You know, and it's like, okay. And that's why I said it doesn't even matter. You got hostile act. You got hostile intent. You fear for your life or a coalition force life member. Do what you got to do. Handle your business. Right. And the rules are there to make sure we don't do crazy, dangerous, murderous things. And that is not what happened in Marjorie. So right. and it's also, not something we ever had to worry about.
1: You kind of use your uh, your Afghan national force Absolutely. to maybe mitigate some of that risk. Because they might, they'll, I'm not going to say 100%, but they have a better inkling of
0: Well, what? let's say this. Let's say it's their culture, their country, their whatever. So if they want to handle that with an iron fist, that's on them. And that's on their commanders to deal with that. However, in a situation like the one we were in, the iron fist was how they were handling it. And because they had to get control, they had to get respect back from the population. So they did help out a lot, kind of buffering
1: situations that we didn't really want to be in. Well, and not only that, but they can give us uh, guidance on... No Talib. That's the famous. No Talib. Yeah. Sometimes that's kind of... In yeah. the beginning,
0: I believe that. And yeah. When we got our second and third can no. Mm-hmm. no. 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 I mean, these guys were... These guys would do, like, pre-patrol opium bakes. And, like, no, you're going out to cover my back. You can't... You can't
1: smoke. What are you doing? You know, so it was like, oh, well, I guess there's just us boys. place well, up. There was one time I remember one was smoking some weed or something. as they, if We were rolling out from... Uh, Camp Hansen mm-hmm. on our side. Now, I I shut the patrol down. I said, "No, nah, well, I'm calling everybody back in." Now, I went straight to LT. I said, "Nope, I'm not taking him on the patrol." And then the, their commander and I ca- kind of caused a little bit of. He probably pistol whipped him, right? I mean, that oh, was, I don't they were know. Pretty he was saying that. that it was okay, and I was oh. like, "I was like LT," and LT's like, "Sure." I was like, "It's their country, dog I, He yes, but I said, "Well, that's fine." But he ain't he ain't coming out on yeah, patrol. He me. just stay here. Enjoy his and he, he, his, <laughs> and he uh, still wanted to come out on patrol. I was like, no, you don't understand. You stay in here.
0: He's like, this little boy don't know. I've been worth fighting since I was twelve on. And that's field. cool. <laughs> but you know what?
1: You didn't <laughs> well, want to trust him. twenty-two-year-old corporal Shret. He gets what he wants because he's the patrol leader, leader. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, know, so your country be damned. Yeah, we dealt with that a
0: lot with the with the opium base, with the just different things that they had. And it was no big deal for them. And you know what sucked is um one day we were in a gunfight and the guys had done that and we couldn't stop them. Like they were gonna do it. And they had you know, they had all the Afghan guys and we got a tick. And you were with me on this chick and I think we we're in Charlie Charlie Echo or something like that. Okay. And um and it was a significant tick. Like, we were in a gunfight, and we're banging. And um, the ANA is sitting down, lined up on the wall, like on the courtyard wall. And I remember coming in, and, like, amidst all the fire, I'm like, what the fuck are you doing? Get up. Let's go. I need you. Like, I need you to help me. And they're all baked out, right? And he looked at me, and i wanted to shoot this guy. He looked at me and he said,
1: <sighs> Sergeant
0: Rogers, calls the chop. I was like, there ain't no choppers.
1: We don't have air support right now. I don't have choppers. I have you.
0: And I need you to stand up with that gun we gave you. And I need you to shoot that way. You know what? Better off, you just stay sitting. (laughs) Yeah, man. I just remember wanting to plug that guy because it's like, oh, good. I'm here doing your work because you can't do it. And you're going to get high while I'm doing your work and then not help me do your work. And then tell me to call the, you know, the choppers in
1: that are not on station. At all. And it's like because once, uh, so we can get into it now. All right, Captain Biggers tells you he needs his anvil. Yeah, so we roll out to five points as a squad with LT. Yeah, I don't even think two Bravo and the other two remaining squads
0: stayed back to rip in the new command element
1: security. Um, We get out there and once we get out to five points. I mean, we kind of chilled that first night, I think. Yeah, and then Sergeant Young, we went out on a patrol.
0: Well, I don't know if you guys did. I did. Oh, no, I did. Okay, so maybe think, it was me, you, and I think he in.
1: came out with the with our squad, and he was kind of like the patrol. That's what it was. Deal. Yeah, it was kind of like a little rip-toe,
0: just yeah. initially showing us the battle space. Do's and, and we, don'ts. And we pushed up
1: north to the west maybe a little bit, if I remember right.
0: Saw the biggest marijuana field on that
1: patrol I'd ever seen in my entire so life.
0: Was that when we took that... Hundred and
1: fifty pounds uh or that hundred and fifty pounds no, one that was later. It, it was
0: right in that same time frame, not that patrol though. Same area. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. For sure. You know, um yeah, that was wild because <laughs> the pod farmers the pod farmers would shoot at us. Yeah. But they didn't want to fight us.
1: No. They would. So pop, it became a dude.
0: thing like where it was like they would just crack rounds up in the air to let us know, hey, we don't want you in our fields because Taliban's gonna kill us if our crop's not
1: good. Yeah. And they we have to shoot at you. And we, we don't want to hit you, but we have to shoot at you. So it looks like we might be doing something.
0: Right. Because who knows who's watching them or, or right. whatever. And that was kind of how it went. And like at first, we tried to bang with these guys, and it's like, hang on. Can yeah, we you remember? They're not us. fighting us, they're trying to scare us. And so we just kind of obliged, like, hey, if you don't want to fight us, that's fine. If you're, because he was clearly not shot at us. But it's like, pop, pop, get out of my field. And the first time, I think like everybody just went, whoa. Oh, yeah, the ground know. Know. Yeah, we we were ready. We were about, we were about we to were. buddy rush that field street to that compound. Right. But um, you know, we felt we, we it out. They did buddy rush. It yeah, well time, that's yeah. that's how we found that's how we found out they weren't right. really trying to try and fight us. They just bailed out, they didn't have any rounds, they had low low profile weapons, but you could tell that they were pop farmers. That's what they did. Right. And you know, that's cash crop for the Taliban. They're gonna come through, give that guy like, you know, twenty bucks and in, in like rice and take You know, eleven acres worth of marijuana, right? To sell it to America, (laughs) it's sick. Anyway, circle of life, right there. Circle of life. So yeah, we end up out at five points, and um, I was once we made the trip. I was that was the first time we were in trucks for like uh, I don't know, a couple
1: of months, right?
0: And I felt like we were going warp speed on the way out. On the way out to the and I, I
1: did not like. I do not like trucks in that situation at all, ever.
0: Yeah, you just can't control. You get the happened. Cadillacs. Yeah. Yeah, man. Yeah, um, it, I would rather walk. Yeah. I would rather sure. walk. I mean, we, there, there was a big fear of landing the bird on an IED because of how prevalent they thought the IEDs were going right. to be. And that would blow. Yeah, that would. Yeah. That, no, be, you that would get a, on the ground. That would be sure. a mess, bro. So that would have been worse so i guess you know mm-hmm. flooded poppy field good
1: you want yeah, at I least it, at
0: least we didn't blow up when we landed good so that's pretty pretty solid there um we'll yeah turn. and and we're really i mean at
1: this point at this point in the
0: end the deployment we're meshed so good as a squad that
1: i mean this is the halfway like
0: full-on implicit communication in full effect everybody knowing
1: their job in full effect you almost Ever- don't even have to do PCIs anymore, like pre-combat inspections. Because, I did pre-combat like, inspections. We at the always time. did it, but you. But everybody was always like team. boom, 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 boom. Everybody's ready.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So out of five points, we meet. Um, other the other platoons are out there, and then it becomes a situation where like one platoon's on guard post at the cop yeah. for ten days. One platoon's working um, observation positions where that we were picking... We were picketing the main MSR right there for IEDs because they had blown a couple of our trucks up pretty bad and damaged some of our guys. And so they were backfilling on us. So we'd go ahead and picket that out with four OPs down the road, uh, connecting Camp Hanson area to five points. And then um, then the other platoon would be on direct action platoon, basically going out and getting some every day. Just hitting whatever the Mm -hmm. CO wanted at that point. Yep, and then out there we had you know eighty ones. We had six. We had everything yep. out there. Everything. We had a gun one, truck section. Gun truck section. a mounted jump um, group, and uh, and they were awesome. They had great gunners, yep. uh, and then uh, young young corporal that ran that squad was a real good. Not not going to say his name. Okay. I don't know where he's at right now, but <clears throat> young um,
1: yeah, he was young dude
0: really got after. I mean, he like, was a he was a good shit. dude. Yeah, he was always like he was the first. Like when he was running and we were running out patrols, I would always go to him. Like I'd send you to the target board to get on call targets, and I'd go out there and be like, "Hey, uh, don't know what you got going on, Corporal, but this is where I'm going to be." I and if you could hit the sergeant road, too. Yeah, yeah, he okay. did it. I was because in his I head, I was thinking his that. name
1: as but, a sergeant, um,
0: but but yeah, or sergeant, he might have been a sergeant at that point. Just so like hey, sergeant, uh, we're going to be right out here, buddy. And if you just happen to be within range with that Mark 19 on the road, and I'm right here and um, and after a gunfight. Oh yeah, man. Gotcha. Whoop, yeah. Dude, no doubt. Problem. No
1: doubt, dude. Just let me know. Yeah.
0: And, and I would tell you always like, about
1: it throughout the workup. He was, uh, I always used to, I was a smoker. Mm-hmm. So I'd smoke and joke with him and get some good pieces of information. Cause he was a combat vet before that, you know, mm-hmm. and, uh, Pretty good, yeah. I like him. He was a... he's a good he's, kid. He was a good man. Yeah, yeah. Hard,
0: hard as woodpecker looks, man. Always willing to come out there and help us. Always willing to do whatever, you know. And and not yeah. not, not, not that we used him a lot.
1: No. But we always ready. Yeah. And mm. uh, he knew his job inside and out. He knew his job. another
0: left. thing. And I mean... Everybody did on that deployment. I mean, that was... The like, company was like almost a star company. I mean, it was ridiculous. Lucky. Very lucky. I
1: mean... Well, no,
0: I mean, lucky... In the fact that that many people that were locked on and that, I mean, and that goes to show the leadership of that entire unit, that, I mean, the entire battalion. Right. Um, The company shit hot, all the companies did well. Right. The battalion as a whole does well. And that goes to show the training and, and, and everything that comes with it, you know, all the mindsets, the command style, you know, the leadership styles that were implemented and uh, that's why I say lucky because somehow in all of that chaos, everybody picked the right thing, the right style, the right method, and made, made shit happen. So,
1: um, you want to go ahead and wrap this one? Anything yeah, we'll wrap gonna, this
0: one here. And then we're going
1: finish to the, finish the book review on the next episode.
0: Next episode will close the book out. And then we got Dr. Mike Blair. We've recorded, and he's going to be queued up following that one. Got good uh, pros- prosthetic information. We got
1: good. Interesting. Um, just a fantastic war fighter uh yeah so fun to interview him. yeah
0: it was a, it was a fun interview. it was funny you know it's funny to see a doctor that talks like a grunt <laughs> right you know what i mean and it's like check <laughs> right
1: yeah i'm glad people are like people like you are out there in the world you're my kind of human being yeah right? like and i told him i'm like yeah i'm telling them
0: that group I, I you know i, I go uh, i do some counseling in the same area and um I told him one day. I said, "Man, I'm cutting my arm off. You think you give me one of the things that spins around?" <laughs> he's like, "Man, don't be going to cutting your arm off." You know, I was like, "I'm not really cutting my arm off," but like, if he's got happens. some amazing technology. And if, if we got guys out there that need prosthetics and they're in this area, or we can get them, well, we're going to have um, we're going to have his information on the bottom of the screen. He's yeah. got a couple of different websites for people to go to to see, um, and a fun interview. Everybody's going to like. Everybody's going to like yeah, the interview and, sure. and get something out of it. And I mean, this man's a hard man. I mean, this man,
1: uh,
0: Iraq, I mean, Afghanistan. I don't want to anything, but I mean, just the Iraq, story. Afghanistan. Some some wild stories, and just the way he came in.
1: Yeah, he came in hot.
0: Like the way he came into service. Oh yeah. Uh, well, I
1: was talking about the way he came into the interview. He came in hot.
0: Oh, the like interview, the whole, the interview the whole was way.
1: ready to go. Yeah, stacked up. So
0: hopefully you guys join us for that next one with uh, Dr. Mike Blair, which is going to be after the next episode. Um, and he'll drop in, and then we have a, a ton of good, good content coming for you guys. Um, also, be sure to check us out on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. We're getting those up right now, and up and running. And they will be at Choices, Not Chances
1: podcast. And um, if you can- Feel like if you need to want to send us an email, it's uh, choicesnotchancespodcast at gmail dot com.
0: Gmail dot Also, Lines of Marja, the book that we've been reviewing the past few episodes, is available sixteen ninety nine on Amazon right now. You can get it in the Kindle version and read it on your Kindle for three ninety nine. It has been uh, selling well. You can also request it at any of your Barnes and Noble local Barnes and Nobles. It may yeah, take them a couple days you. to to get it there, but they'll get it there for mm-hmm. you. So make sure you're reaching out and. Uh, and, uh, getting the full content of the story also on our Facebook, uh, Facebook page right now, the live rules, uh, the, the rules, uh, pertaining to the writing competition, the first annual writing competition for choices, not chances podcast are up. Please check out the rules and, um, and get your, get your writing, get your writing submitted so that we can review them. We can have a winner and have you on here and, and uh, and talk about your experiences but uh, as always, guys, thanks for being with us. Thanks for uh, hanging out with us for just a couple of, a couple of hours and, um, and, you know, hearing the stories, stories from real veterans, stories from, from real operations, uh, you know, and, and the way they went down, and the way they went down. So yes. we'll see you guys next time.
1: Thank you. How we doing, everybody? This is the co-host of Choices Not Chances podcast, Matthew Charette. As mentioned in the beginning of the show, this episode of the podcast is sponsored by Louisiana Gun Shop. The folks at Louisiana Gun Shop have been a longtime supplier of firearms and shooting supplies and services, as well as very good friends of mine. One day, we will get the owner and founder, Harlan Boblett, on the show. At Louisiana Gun Shop, the sky is the limit when it comes to getting the firearms and accessories you want for your current or future firearms. They have a nice selection of handguns rifles, and shotguns in stock or can order just about any firearm you could want or need. They specialize in concealed carry handguns and custom AR-15 builds. In addition to firearms, they also carry ammo, suppressors, optics, and a wide variety of gun parts for the upgrade and maintenance of your firearms. If you want to get further into the upgrade side of things, they provide customization services such as Cerakote, laser engraving, And Kydex holsters. So like I stated before, Louisiana Gun Shop is located on Highway 90 West in Broussard, Louisiana, just south of Lafayette. It used to be Louisiana Gun Shop did not have an online presence, but now I am happy to announce that their website is up and ready for business for online sales to all 50 states at louisianagunshop.com. Louisiana Gun Shop also offers Louisiana residents concealed carry classes for a very reasonable price. Harlan's experience in the concealed carry space when it comes to the laws and the do's and the don'ts is pivotal in attaining your Louisiana concealed carry license. As well as the firearm market, Harlan also conducts explosive training for Louisiana blasters licenses for oil field and special effects workers in Louisiana. Workers in these fields from out of state will also need to have their training in this field to complete their work in Louisiana. So whether you need a firearm, upgrade your old firearm, targets and ammo for a range day, or you just like to talk to people who support the Second Amendment, Louisiana Gun Shop is your place, either in person or online. Remember, they are located on Highway 90 West in Broussard, Louisiana, just south of Lafayette, or online at louisianagunshop.com. You can also follow them on Instagram and Facebook at Louisiana Gun Shop. A special thanks to Harlan and Jenny at Louisiana Gun Shop for sponsoring the show. Please support them so they can support us and keep the podcast free for all. Thanks, have a great day, Semper Fi, and God bless America. Not too far. Marking the Good that's funny! That